This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You've switched on to another Joy podcast. Joy 94.9, Australia's rainbow community radio station. Download our free smartphone app today. Go to joy.org.au. Hi, I'm Lenny Fabry. Today we're chatting with Pino Miglarino, a managing director and founder of Cultural Perspectives. Since founding Cultural Perspectives in 1994, he's worked extensively with governments, corporates and community groups on a range of projects. He's been the chair of the Federation of Ethnic Communities Council of Australia, FECA, is a representative on the New South Wales Police Multicultural Advisory Committee and the Department of Human Services Council on Strategy and Innovation. He's here today on Joy 94.9 to discuss his latest research on the intersection of GLBTI ageing multicultural communities. Welcome to Joy 94.9, Pino. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So tell us about Cultural Perspectives. Oh, thanks, Lenny. It's, um, it's been my company for 22 years. So it was, it was basically formed to create a capacity around dealing with ethnic communities. Um, that's where it started. And so the ability to know which ethnic communities existed, their migration histories, their preferences for media, uh, what they wanted out of programs and services and products. Basically been delivering some of the most fundamental research pieces around Aboriginal communities in Australia. Um, cultural perspectives itself, then outside of that research area, has been very much uh, concerned with the ability to communicate. Um, the use of media, uh, the ability to craft a message which makes sense. Too much of our communication with ethnic communities has been very, very low level, taking something which works as an English cultural icon and just changing the language and putting it out into ethnic communities without really understanding whether it's actually going to have any form of impact at all, whether it's relevant at all, whether it resonates at all. So we've very much developed an approach which says we actually know how to communicate. And the beauty of that is they're the two kind of like formal professional things that we've been doing in the company and alongside that I've actually worked in community and so I work with small groups and help to develop them. I work with the the government departments and companies to assist them in becoming more responsive to diversity and as we go through I'd like to actually unpick what that diversity is and so we're moving very much and looking at issues around gender and looking issues around sexuality and looking issues around disability and you start getting this layering of diversities and and how they might affect an individual. And I think that's where our practice is. So if you were to ask me, and I had to write it only yesterday, what does cultural perspectives do? Cultural perspectives allows the capacity to actually interact and understand diversity. And more than that, our role has got to be not just to be responsive, to be proactive. So I say my personal role is being almost a disruptor, a cultural disruptor. I actually want to disrupt how people perceive the dominant cultures in Australia and legitimise the positioning of other cultures which aren't as dominant. You're on Joy 94.9. Another informative podcast, thanks to Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. Today we're chatting with Pino Miglarino, a managing director and founder of Cultural Perspectives. Okay, so you're in Melbourne. Yes. And you're here for the uh, Ageing Conference? Yes, the uh, the second national LGBTI Ageing and Aged Care Conference. This year's theme is Nothing About Us Without Us. Yes. Tell us about the conference and your place in it. 
The work that I've been doing is in direct response to the request to actually speak at the conference. So I was asked to be the keynote speaker on the day two plenary, which was just an absolute honour. A big process and uh, an approach for this conference was very much to have authentic voices speak on their own behalf. Nothing without us without us. So uh, a good, I think the uh, figure quota was about 31, 32% of the participants were themselves older LGBTI people. And they were either uh, gay, lesbian, they were a number of people who uh, were trans and even a few people who were intersex. And so it was really important to be able to get their stories. And what was really interesting from my perspective is the sense that they're living a whole range of lives and while they were and I use the, 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 the term they in terms of the groups that were actually being represented, while they were actually identifying their own individuality and their difference there were a number of references in the program yesterday to ethnic communities as being this kind of like problem group in terms of people who being recruited into aged care facilities and having uh, you know homophobic or transphobic uh, attitudes and, and seeing ethnic communities as this really quite my, like conservative negative body my question was what are the realities around ethnic communities and and people who are lgbti and who are getting old and so what i did is i talked a lot about this intersection in terms of what it actually means for people and this intersection is one where fundamentally the course of the person's life if you like or trajectory into old age will actually depend on how they've lived their life and whether they've come out or not so I picked up the thesis around three three areas of operation. One is about ageing in ethnic communities. And the big issue around ageing in ethnic communities is that the ageing process actually delivers a more community-focused response to ageing. So after you've finished work and you're no longer working, then you actually do come more into community. And that is about the role of family. And that is where you spend your social time. And that is what media you actually consume. So you're more likely to tune that TV onto the satellite um, programs from Italy or Greece or China or Lebanon. And and that was a really interesting one for me because if indeed you have not identified publicly as, as, as gay or lesbian in this context, then how does that manifest when more and more family becomes the dominant cultural form? And then I, I picked up then issues around ethnic communities and, and sexuality in terms of the expression of either homophobia or indeed um, transphobia in terms of how it actually works. With the understanding that we cannot create or identify these established communities that we really do need to consider there is likely to be change over time and then I actually looked at then the issue around um, the the uh, if you like the LGB, the LGBTI community itself in terms of the experiences of people from call background once they do come out or actually are identifying in that way then the fact that they've actually had to remove themselves from community the fact that they quite often go overseas as a way of creating some space the fact that most of those relationships are in cross-cultural relationships rather than intercultural relationships intracultural relationships so i was able to create this this if you like this complexity and layering of all these realities and then with the, the key question how do you actually accommodate their needs in in this this way of approaching all uh, you know getting older from from um, a sexuality perspective, where indeed culture is still highly highly defined, and then um, the beautiful thing was that I, I it was a very much a conference about people's stories and their own narratives, and I had taken such a almost an academic approach in terms of what was the available research and the fact that there was very little research certainly research around sexuality and, and ethnicity, but nothing which actually touched what happens when you get older, what happens when you lose language, what happens when you you become demented or get dementia or Alzheimer's, where then the relationships you have might become secondary to the blood relationships where families might feel that they have a greater legitimacy. 
than, say, the life partner. Yeah. There's absolutely gaps for, yeah. for people who are culturally and uh, linguistically diverse mm. in the GLBTI community who may uh, choose to speak in their native tongue, are consuming their native media yes. and not accessing service information about their local community um, and particularly not for the rainbow community That's right. services. And then consuming local GLBTI community information and there isn't anything about ethnic GLBTI community organisations. And so lately, in the last few years, people are becoming more and more aware about that. So we're our ethnic community groups are becoming more visible, more loud, more present, so that people are becoming uh, more aware mm. and more socially engaged in all of these wonderful um, community engagement projects. But again, marginalised within this ethnic GLBTI community are our ageing community. Yeah. And so, as you've said, there is a gap that needs to be researched so that we can provide these services for people within our aged care facilities and other services. So people very true. were earlier on saying about um, how people first, they need to have identified that they've come out, but they also, I think, need to have identified that they don't speak um, English comfortably Yes, and that they need services for that translation or providing information. Yeah. In, in uh, issues to do with ageing, there's, uh, there's a constant debate around where you position certain minorities. Um, and the government has legislated special needs groups. And the LGBTI community has been really happy about this in the aged care area because it's allowed them a space. I've argued vehemently against this special needs because to me it's it's patronising. It comes across really that sense of we've got what we've got, but because you're so difficult, we need to give you special considerations. And I'd argue you can't really call me special if I'm representing ethnic communities which make up a third of everyone who's aged 65 plus. <laughs> you know, that type yeah. of stuff. So, and, 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 and I'm finding that really, really interesting. Anyway, point being is today someone who had actually sat next to me just before I spoke and afterwards came up and said, when you wrote about your perspective around uh, special needs, that influenced my, my thesis that I was working on and actually changed the nature of my studies. And you think, wow. And then another person said, she said, without people like you, we wouldn't actually challenge how we think. There's, there is a need for people. And I mightn't have the best theory in the world. I mightn't be as, as tight and considered as an academic, which would you, you, you know, take years to, to craft a position. But by me standing up to at today to a group of people who are so passionate about telling their stories and to try to identify themselves as individuals, for me to say, treat others as individuals as well, not as cultural prototypes. Amen. Yeah. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Yeah, it was great. You're on Joy 94.9. It's our Rainbow Community Radio Station. Go to the website, joy.org.au. Download our free smartphone app. Also, you can check out thousands of our podcasts today. I'm Lenny Fabry. Thanks heaps, Pino, and thank you for listening. You're on Joy 94.9. We know you love listening to Joy, and this podcast is thanks to Joy sponsor Audible. Keep listening to hear our exclusive Joy offer, audible.com.au forward slash Joy. Joy 94.9. Today we're chatting with Pino Miglarino, a managing director and founder of Cultural Perspectives. In preparation for, for the, uh, the paper and the presentation, I'd interviewed a relative of mine. He's my, one of my closest age relatives. Mm -hmm. He's my uncle, and he's one year and a bit older than me. And he came out two years ago. 
And I spent a good couple of hours with him because I felt if this conference was around nothing about us without us, if I had to have an authenticity, then I actually had to move beyond books and reports and actually feel something. Real people. Real people. Yeah. And, and my relationship to that real person. Yeah. And, and it was a really interesting story because he, he, in his story, I mean, he said that he felt gay from when he was a kid, yet my life with him showed me that he, he married at 20 and had kids and, 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 and really didn't start identifying or seeking to identify as a gay man until his wife left him without actually knowing that that he'd been having sex with men so it was a really interesting one but funnily enough in discussing it and I said okay what happened when he was found out because he didn't actually come out but he was found out by his kids and then by other people in the family Mm -hmm. because he'd become quite active in an, an older gay men's group um, and, and that was where he, f- he found solace. He found real sense of community and identity. And uh, it was very interesting, in, in, and we talked a lot about it from two perspectives, and I, I related this in the conference today. One perspective was my sense of loss, because from someone I felt was a very close relative and indeed a friend, to actually find what, now 30, 40 years on that there was a whole life that he had never actually felt comfortable in sharing for me, with me, I, I, my response was one of loss. It was really interesting. I kept, and, I, and I was trying to be intellectual with the interview and make sure that I, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't about me, but it was about him. But I said to him, you know, I, I, feel, I feel uncomfortable because I, I feel I've, I've not benefited from you. And I said, why? And he said, um, I was not comfortable coming out to family. And even though, you know, we had a great relationship, you were part of family. And, and that was a really interesting thing. And then the flip side of that was when it started to become known in the family, my mum took the initiative and actually held a party at her house, a dinner party, where she invited all her brothers because he had seven brothers, two had passed away, so the remaining brothers. Um, and it was a coming out party. Oh, Without, you know, being, you know, it was, it was a sense of... So you didn't have a poster that said... No, no posters, <laughs> no posters. But mum said, you know, we, I brought all the brothers together to actually show solidarity. Yeah. And here's the rub and here's the thing. Part of the, those brothers, when we first came to Australia, um, we were in a really fairly rough area of Sydney called St Peter's. And his brothers were the same people who, in gangs, would actually find people who were gay and beat them up. His response was to say, 20 years ago, they might have beaten him up. Yeah. Their response today was to actually, and in his words, hug me tighter than I've ever been hugged before by them. There was a sense that your sexuality, even though we might still feel confronted by it, is not going to deny your role as our brother or our our, our family member. It's really humanising the issue. Yeah. yeah. It's a part of an education process for everybody. Yeah, and it was interesting for me because I was trying to overlay soci- sociological processes and perspectives over it. What does your ethnicity mean? He goes, at the end of the day, Pino, I'm just a person. What and a great lesson for you because yeah. that's, that's what you do. That's your job. Yeah. And just remembering to always bring it back to the human the human and the variability and the lack of predictability mm. so he says i have a, f- a certain type of man that attracts me um that's me i don't feel i need to be in the italian community um but he differentiated community from family but he did want to feel part of family and so 
I would imagine that there will be factors in that he came out later in life and that he came to Australia when he was young, yes, was he? Yes, he was, yeah. Um, and so there'll be all of these variables in the study. Um, yeah, and I'd like to take it further in terms of um, the other thing that I've mentioned today is there's very, very little literature on this. And I don't think this is the stuff of academic treatises, but this is the stuff of storytelling. Um, and I think the more we actually find these stories and so the again the beauty of today was and i've just come from the session now um was that after me was a slovenian man who talked about his life and then there was a chilean woman who talked about her life both had had horrendous stories of their own personal lives not necessarily about their sexuality right but because of their lives but part of them was indeed their sexuality and their talking in a, in what could have been seen as a fairly narrow cultural band of people in the audience they're talking from a range of different perspectives of accents of histories um i actually think is is brilliant in actually creating a narrative of individual difference and shared experiences yeah it's great to be heard isn't it yeah and so what are you hoping to get out of all of this research? Oh, um, maybe just pushing the envelopes in areas which people have not touched before. And I, in, if you look at the, the work I've been doing over the last couple of years, it really is areas which are almost so unorthodox, like looking at the positioning of disability in ethnic communities and why there has been such a reticence to actually involve themselves as communities in disability services. The positioning of sexuality as a key aspect and almost, and, and this is right across the board, it might affect issues to do with LGBTI communities. It might affect issues to do with underage marriage. It certainly affects issues to do with things like uh, female genital mutilation or circumcisions. Um, they're real issues. And my view is we have to be able to find the way of talking about them, one that doesn't necessarily alienate communities, but that creates an environment in which we can actually allow people to move safely without exposing them to risk and actually challenge some of those. And so my view is not so much I'm going to be the great advocate, but very much how can I create opportunities where people's voices can speak on their own behalf? Well, that's what we do here at Joy 94.9. We are the community and we keep the conversation going. So if we can help in any way... I look forward to it. Please let us know. Thank you so much, Pino, for having a conversation with us today from Cultural Perspectives. Um, if you'd like to hear more about the study, how would we access that information from the website? Yep, I'll write up a piece. Uh, there's a website blog called The Perspective, C-U-L-P-E-R-G-R-O-U-P, culpagroup.com.au. Uh, the uh, blog is called The Perspective, obviously, <laughs> Cultural Perspectives. Um, and I'll be writing this up in the next few days, and I'd really, really like people to have a look at it and give me some feedback. That sounds awesome. So get involved. You're on Joy 94.9. It's our Rainbow Community Radio Station. Go to the website, joy.org.au. Download our free smartphone app. Also, you can check out thousands of our podcasts today. I'm Lini Fabry. Thanks heaps, Pino. And thank you for listening. You're on Joy 94.9. Thanks for tuning in to yet another Joy podcast sponsored by Audible. You can support Joy by signing up to a free 30-day Audible trial. Get your very own free audiobook now. Audible.com.au forward slash joy. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.